Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 322, and today we are talking about books being released on August 3rd, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! How's it going? Good! We just kind of accidentally talked for like a half hour before recording, and now I don't know <laughs> what to go back <laughs> like, to. I know, because we're all friends, so we start talking, and then we're like, oh wait, we're doing a work thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking for a reason today. Mm-hmm. But it's fun to chat. You know, I was explaining yeah. to you that you or the other hosts are really the only person I speak to during the week besides my husband and my cats. So I always have lots of things to say. Mm-hmm. Just And I talk very fast. <laughs> you and I are the same in that way. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. What's new? When this show goes up, I will be on vacation, which is exciting. I took yeah. a week off to relax and read some books and restructure some work things. This morning, I saw a hummingbird moth, which I did not oh. know was a thing until this morning. I was cat-sitting for our friends, and they, she has all these flowers in front of her house. And I was looking at this little flying thing, and my first thought was, oh my goodness, that hummingbird's beak fell off. <laughs> because it was, but then I saw like these antennas, and so I was like, that's a moth. So I came home and I Googled it, because of course, by the time I got my phone out of my car and went back up to it, it was gone. So I Googled it when I got home, and I was like, moth purple black yellow and it was like here are some guides about moths and i was like no and so i typed in moth beating wings really fast and it was like oh you mean a hummingbird moth why didn't you just say that to begin with (laughs) so a hummingbird moth is a real thing and it was so cool so cool sounds really cool big fan of nature this was like psychedelic nature i mean like pinkish purple and like black and yellow it was wild i was so excited i wish that i had gotten a picture of it but if you google it they're cool. The other day I was draining. We have like a little kitty. It's not even a kitty pool. It's a dog pool because that was all that was available. <laughs> so we have this little dog pool that we've been using in the backyard and I was draining it. And then I went out and checked on it. And there was a bee that was like very slowly treading water. And oh, no. I spent like 20 minutes trying to fish out this bee. And then I thought it had lost its wings and I was trying to find out like, Where's the best place to put a bee without oh, any wings? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just, like, trying to, like, put it in a flower and, like, not get it on me and get stung. But it turns out its wings were just wet and stuck to it. It's fine. Oh, well, that's It's fine. Good. I rescued it. It's good. But it was a very long process. We are the same person. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I'll see bees outside on the ground, like, crawling around, and you're supposed to give them, like, sugar water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll be in the house and all of a sudden I'll be like running. I'm like, can't talk. Got to give this bee sugar water. 
Just little capfuls of sugar water scattered yeah. around. Because I read in a book, big surprise, that if you see a bee <laughs> climbing on the ground, most likely it's run out of energy. Like it has mm-hmm. a certain amount of energy to get so far from its nest and get back. And so it means it's right. run out of energy, had to expend more. And so it needs like a little boost. Yeah. You know, I like a little tiny mortar and pestle and I like crush up some sugar. No, not really. But, <laughs> you know, I just bring out like a little eyedropper. And it probably doesn't, I don't hang around. I don't want to make them feel self-conscious, you know, <laughs> be like, hey, do you like that? Is it too warm? Is it too cold? Can I get you anything else? Here's your check. <laughs> I literally did that like a few weeks ago. We had, I had like a frappuccino and I was just like, gave it like a few drops of the frappuccino, <laughs> like, put, it, put it up in the shade and was like, good luck, buddy. <laughs> that is one spoiled bee now. they're gonna be like have some nectar he's like do you have a frappuccino (laughs) i need that caffeine and sugar or maybe he's gonna go back to like his little bee starbucks and like make a new flavor drink (laughs) they're gonna have like honey frappuccinos (laughs) yeah it's gonna change the whole honey flavor profile i'm gonna really revolutionize (laughs) it's true it's like you messed with like time it's like you went back in time and touched something that you shouldn't and now everything is gonna be different from now on (laughs) Oh, we have to talk about books. <laughs> we really went in a different direction this time. <laughs> Well, there was lots of laughing, and laughing is good. I like laughing. Uh, but we're going to talk about books now. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Okay, I've been waiting so long to talk about this first book. I cannot believe it's actually time. I'm very excited. It is When the Reckoning Comes by Latanya McQueen. It's this fantastic social commentary slash horror novel. Oh my goodness, it's so good. It's about a woman named Mira. When Mira was a teen, she had two best friends, Jesse and Celine. They lived in this sort of run-down town, and they were the poorest kids in school. Mira and Jesse are black. Celine is white. Celine used to get teased for hanging out with Mira and Jesse. Mira and Jesse used to get teased for hanging out with Celine, but they, you know, sort of all stuck together because they were in similar situations. And when they were in high school, Mira and Jesse decide to investigate the dilapidated ruins of a plantation that's off in the woods in their town. They've heard these horrifying stories about the owners of the plantation and the people who were enslaved there. These stories have been passed down for generations. And so it's kind of like this dare thing that they're doing in school. But they end up going out there. Celine chickens out at the last minute and she says she's not going to do it. So Mira and Jesse go out there. And I can't tell you what happens, but all I can say is what Mira sees there and then what happens next ends up with Jesse being arrested for murder. And now we, we move forward to the to the future 10 years. Um, up until the time that they went to that plantation, you know, like I said, they, they had been best friends with Celine. But now this has happened. And as soon as high school is over, Mira flees the town. So it's 10 years later. And she gets a message from her friend Celine, who she has not talked to since high school. 
and she asks Mira to return to their town for her wedding. And not only is her wedding in the town where they grew up, the plantation is now renovated, and it's a very fancy, fancy spot for destination weddings and events. And she's asking Mira to come to her wedding at this renovated plantation. And Mira is like, what is she doing? You know, she always thought that maybe Celine resented uh, her a little bit because of what happened with her and Jesse at the plantation. And, you know, she's also like insulted that she would invite her, you know, a black woman to a wedding at a plantation. But Mira is also very curious to see her friends. And she really wants to reunite with Jesse, who Celine tells her is going to be at the wedding. So against her better judgment... She goes to the wedding. And now she's thinking of all these stories that her mother told her about their own relatives who had been enslaved on the plantation. And when she arrives there, people think she's the help and they're rude to her. And she's like, this was a big mistake. Um, And then she starts to see some things that she can't explain. Uh, And she realizes the rumors about this place must be true. The horrors of history have come back and they're mad. It's so good. It's so tense and the pages just fly by. It's, you know, it's this important look at historic injustices, racism, the horrors of slavery and accountability. Uh, I loved, you know, how complex the characters' relationships were. And even though there's some supernatural elements to this book, it kind of felt like it was real, like it was something you would read about, you know, in a nonfiction book. Um, And every few chapters... There's a little bit from the voices of the murdered enslaved people who haunt the plantation. And it's the writing is just incredible. And I mean, it's a horror book. You know, like if you had to pick like one thing to label it as, it is a horror book. But it's just so excellent. And everyone should have to read this, you know, to remind us all of the people who suffered and the repeated attempts to erase our our past and the lives lost. It's so, so good. I want to give content warnings for murder, physical violence, racism and racialized language, abuse, torture, sexual assault, and gore. That is When the Reckoning Comes by Latanya McQueen. Man, I was really like on the edge of my seat for that whole description. (laughs) It sounds so good. It's so fantastic. I love the new horror that's coming out that's like social commentary horror yeah it's really changing the genre and i I believe i believe this one is a paperback original i think so you can buy two copies instead of one hardcover (laughs) that's definitely going on my list (laughs) my pick in a, a very different direction is fresh by margot wood So I picked up Fresh when I was in a bit of a reading slump, and in the first few pages, I wasn't sure what to think about it. It definitely has a distinct voice. It's a first-person point of view, and it sure sounds like a college freshman telling you a story, which is exactly what this is. It's Elliot's first year of university, how she messed it up, and how she tries to rebuild. So she's a little bit ridiculous. She has a lot of silly asides, including footnotes, and it's a style that will immediately turn some people off and pull others in. Once I bought in, though, I loved it, and I ended up reading it in two days, reading Slumpy Damned. This is loosely inspired by Emma. If Emma was a bisexual girl with ADHD who went to an artsy college but was mainly interested in getting laid. So Elliot's family is wealthy, and she's not too concerned about getting the most out of her education. She likes sex, but not commitment. Her high school relationship ended in heartbreak and humiliation, so she is strictly casual now. 
The only assignment she puts any real thought into is an essay for her sex and intimacy class, because this is an artsy school, where she embarks on a personal quest to sleep with a ton of people to try to find truly good sex and then write about it. A lot of people, especially on TikTok, are looking for more queer new adult books, books about the beginning years of college or just leaving high school, where you're not quite a fully-fledged adult, but YA no longer reflects your experience. This book definitely isn't my experience with the university, which involves still living at home and working to pay for tuition, but it's certainly somebody's. It has classic sloppy college partying scenes and, as mentioned, a lot of casual hookups. Although there is a lot of talk about sex and fresh, it's not an erotic or steamy read. Sex is treated very matter-of-factly, and Elliot doesn't give it a lot of weight. I really enjoyed reading about a character who messes up so much. This is where the Emma comparison comes in. She tries to set up her friend, determined that she knows what's best for her, without realizing that her own life is very much not together. She's afraid of intimacy, and she has no direction. She has no goals for her future. She's not trying in any of her classes, and also not signing up for serious or useful classes. She's also not being a great friend, and it doesn't take long before it all blows up in her face. I do want to give some clear content warning for both sexual assault and slut-shaming. Elliot isn't treating people well. She's ghosting her hookups, and they're not always aware that she only wants something casual. And that gets tangled up in general cultural shaming about women having casual sex, especially bisexual women. It's clear from the context that the slut-shaming sentiment is wrong, but it's also not clearly defined. Similarly, while one character treats the attempted sexual assault very seriously, as does Elliot, not every character does, and that also gets mixed up with other things. I don't think that's the fault of the writing necessarily, but I think readers should be aware of that going in. Despite Elliot's intimacy issues, there's also a romantic subplot full of yearning, miscommunication, and a touch of the enemies to painful crush pipeline. Overall, I thought this was such an absorbing, entertaining read, and it's much needed for new adult queer readers. Meanwhile, us older and wiser readers will be shaking our heads fondly at the roller coaster of college relationships. I definitely never stopped hating the term tender chicken, which is used a lot in this book, and it really spotlights how not erotic the descriptions of sex are. But I managed to get over that, and I'm grateful to Fresh for breaking through my reading slump. If you're looking for a fun, silly, fast read or a queer new adult book about college, I highly recommend this one. And that's Fresh by Margot Wood. Tender chicken? Oh, I don't even get me started. <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> now I'm going to just have to read the book to find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so going in another completely different direction, I I think this is possibly the best book of the second half of the year. Like the best novel of the second half of the year. It's this incredible debut called Damnation Spring by Ash Davidson. Uh, Nicholas Butler, the author of most recently uh, Godspeed, which came out last week and I absolutely loved. He turned me on to this book several months ago and said it was like the best thing he had read in forever. And so I was like, I must read this. And and he wasn't wrong. It's so good. It's set in the Pacific Northwest in the 1970s. Uh, it's in California. There's this family, the Gundersons. Rich Gunderson is the father. He is a fourth generation logger. His father was a logger and he died doing his job. His grandfather, same deal. His father, same deal. And now Rich is 
in, you know, he's in his 40s, maybe his early 50s. And, you know, he's been doing this job for a long time. So it's just a matter of time before something bad happens. You know, he's worried and he's worried about his family. Uh, most recently, because his wife, Colleen, has had a terrible miscarriage. Uh, one that the doctor said she should not try to get pregnant again because she might not survive the next time. Uh, but Colleen, all Colleen wants is a huge family. They have a young son named Chubb, who's like five or six. You'll have to forgive me. I read this book like a year ago. But he's like five or six. But Colleen really wants a huge family. But she realizes as she's dealing you know, with her loss that several of the women in their town have experienced miscarriages, like way more than an average, you know, for a town. Uh, and she's beginning to think that it's linked to these pesticides that are sprayed by the loggers. Uh, but nobody in town wants to hear this because this is how they make their living. And if like something bad is happening because of it, they could lose their, their money, they could lose their homes. And so they're pretty upset with her for even mentioning this. And Rich has, you know, put his foot down. He said, you know, no more babies, like we're not having another one. But Colleen won't hear it. So meanwhile, Rich has spent all their savings on a parcel of land. Uh, he hasn't told Colleen that he was doing this. He took their savings out and bought this land because it ha has so many amazing trees that if he can cut this land, he'll make enough money that Chubbs will be the first Gunderson not to have to be a logger. Like, he doesn't want his son to have the same kind of life that he's had and that the people you know, before him have had. Uh, but Colleen was counting on that money. And if he can't log, you know, the land, if he can't cut these trees down, you know, they're going to lose everything. Uh, so they're both harboring these big secrets. And it's this beautiful, beautiful novel and sad novel about two people who might lose everything that they have to get what they want. It's about love and loss and trying to do the right thing. And also, what do you do? You know, what, do you go after your dreams at the risk of losing what you have? Um, it's told in, in both uh, Richard and Colleen's voice, but also we hear from Chubb sometimes. And the writing is just, oh my goodness. So it's being compared to Steinbeck. And you know how I love John Steinbeck. I had a cat named Steinbeck. And I'll allow it. It, it, it. The writing is spectacular. I mean, this book is amazing. I watched an interview with Ash Davidson. She grew up uh, in the area when she was young. And a lot of what happens in this book are real things that were happening, like with the pesticides and the logging and the dangers. And she talked about how she went back to visit and she went to some kind of social gathering where it was like a bingo night or something like that. And nobody wanted to talk to her. But then like she had like the secret meeting in the parking lot with this logger who said, you know, meet me outside and I'll, I'll tell you about you know, the town and my thoughts about logging and stuff. And, and he talked about like how, you know, yeah, this is a dangerous job. You know, it's kind of like being a miner, but like, what can you do, you know, when you depend on the income and when your home is here and your family is here? And, you know, she, she interviewed him and he told her because she thought that the loggers like ch purposely chose to ignore like the dangers or ignore, you know, the pesticides. But in fact, you know, they're afraid to speak up and say anything about it. And it was really fascinating to listen to her talk about that. I want to give content warnings for illness, miscarriage, death, and uh, mentions of suicide. Uh, this book is just amazing. You're going to hear about it everywhere pretty soon. It's called Damnation Spring, and it's by Ash Davidson. Well, I have another good and sad book to recommend, so that's a good segue into it. And that's Made in China, A Memoir of Love and Labor by Anna Chu, and that's Q-U. So this is one of those books that's hard to recommend because I'm basically saying, read this. It's sad. It's very good, but it's also very sad. 
The pitch is that it's about a child forced to work in her family's sweatshop who calls child services on her parents, but that actually happens fairly far into the book. It starts with Anna being left in China for five years, while after her father's death, her mother emigrated to the U.S., and she was being raised by her grandparents. She was very young, and soon she had been raised by her grandparents longer than she had been by her mother. She was constantly told that any day now she will be brought to the U.S. where life will be amazing. Her grandparents told her that she'd be able to ride a bike and go to candy stores and basically live the American dream childhood. When she did finally arrive at the U.S., though, it was very different from what she had imagined. Her mother had remarried and had two children, and she didn't fit in with the new family. Anna is kept separate from her stepfather, and her half-siblings always come first. Her mother reminds her constantly that she is the lowest member of the household and that she is lucky to even be there. Her siblings and stepfather always come first in any situation. Anna's worth to her mother is in her labor. She soon acts as a maid, cleaning up after the other children, as well as her mother and stepfather, forced to repeat tasks until she gets them right with no time for homework or entertainment. Her role changes. She is sent back to China to live with strangers when she acts up, and later she works in her family's sweatshop in Queens. The book bounces around in time right up to her adult life, but it's always surrounding exactly what the subtitle promises, love and labor. Despite never having a functional relationship with her mother, she continues to want that from her, imagining that maybe now it's possible for her to show Anna unconditional love. It's painful to read about Anna's mistreatment and her acknowledgement of the complications of her family's intergenerational trauma. As an adult, she ends up at a startup that is going under that maybe never had a foundation to begin with, but managed to convince the business world it did for a while. As it begins to dissolve and she remains a loyal employee, she realizes, for as long as I can remember, this is a direct quote, my self-confidence was wrapped up in what I could do for others. Who was I besides a useful worker? She compares being an employee to being a child. The imbalance of power, the dependence, the attempts to ingratiate yourself to a capricious power. Despite the dark content, and I want to give warnings for emotional and physical abuse as well as unrelated sexual harassment, the writing style is accessible and absorbing. I couldn't put it down. It's also a short read, just over 200 pages. And after all the struggle and the ongoing effects that her abusive childhood had, the story does end on a hopeful note, if bittersweet. Even after recommending books professionally for more than a decade, I still don't know how to recommend that you read a book about childhood abuse, but I will say that this is a powerfully told story, and I really appreciated it. And that's Made in China by Anna Chu. All right. I have that around here somewhere. It's really good. I'm really looking forward to reading that. I've heard nothing but excellent things about that. My next pick is a highly anticipated novel of the year. It is The Turnout by Megan Abbott, which was supposed to come out at the beginning of July, but got pushed to August, which is fine. You know, things happen. So it's so exciting. It's a thriller about a family-run ballet studio. Um, Megan Abbott had the book Dare Me, did not had, wrote the book Dare Me, which is, uh, you know, a thriller surrounding cheerleading, and You Will Know Me, which is a thriller surrounding gymnastics, and now we have a thriller surrounding ballet, and I think from now on all her books should be set around competitive events, 
you know, like soccer and basketball and Scrabble. Like these are these are just like great ideas, I think. And she can use them if she wants them because she's so good at at just bringing sinisterness, if that's a word, to uh, everything that she writes about. Um, So this is about a ballet studio. It's family run. Uh, Dara and Marie Durant are ballerinas or former ballerinas. Uh, Their family owned the studio from when they were very young. And they're incredibly good at ballet, but now they're older. Dara is married to Charlie, who was her parents' best student, uh, who no longer dances. Um, I can't say too much about this book because I don't want to spoil anything. But the basics are their parents were killed in an accident uh, and they left the school to Dara and Marie. And they live in their family home, all all three of them. But... Even though the school is successful, there's some other things going on. Marie has recently moved out of their family home, uh, and there's some tension there. And then an accident occurs just as the Nutcracker season is about to start. And what's going on there? And it kind of exposes the dark underbelly of the school and the relationship of these three with each other. Because, I mean, there are, like, there's all this drama going on, you know, it's Nutcracker season, and there's tightly wound competitive parents and backstabbing and fighting, and Marie's got this interest in a contractor who's working on the school, uh, and it kind of has her drifting from her duties during the busiest season, and that brings some resentment. And it's Megan Abbott, so, you know, bad things are going to happen, and secrets will be revealed. I used to work in a theater, and I could not believe, every year, it's the Nutcracker, It's been around forever. People get so excited for the Nutcracker year after year after year. It was like our biggest selling show every Christmas. And there was so much involved. And I was always just really surprised. So like reading about them performing the Nutcracker and getting ready for Nutcracker season, I was like, yes, like that is a very stressful time for ballet school. Um, And I thought that was a great like real life addition to this. Um, And Megan Abbott is just the best. She's the best. So I still have to watch Dare Me. I haven't seen the show yet, but maybe I'll do that on my vacation. Anyway, this one is excellent. It is called The Turnout, and it is by Megan Abbott. And now we are going to hear from another sponsor. All right, Danica, what do you have next? I got really stuck on the idea of who's going to write the great Scrabble horror novel, but (laughs) I'll move on to, to my next book which is horror-adjacent. It's not horror. It's I Kissed a Girl by Jeanette Alexander, and it is a romance novel that takes place on a horror movie set. So Lila is a B-movie scream queen, semi-famous for her horror roles. Her latest is Scarodactyl, a cheesy dinosaur horror movie with buckets of fake blood. She's been trained for stardom her whole life, and she has found success in these movies, but secretly she's never even seen a horror movie, and she'd rather be on a historical fiction film set. Noah, on the other hand, is thrilled to be plastering fake wounds on actors. She dropped out of school to pursue union membership as a makeup artist, determined to live her dream of getting to do larger-than-life special effects horror makeup. The stakes are high, though. If she doesn't get the hours and the recommendation, she'll have no shot at the union and future jobs, and she'll have thrown away her education for nothing. When Noah arrives at the set the first day, she is stunned to see Lila, the same actress who is on a poster in her bedroom. She is a big fan, and she tries 
painfully hard to play it cool. Unfortunately, she manages to put her foot in her mouth the moment she sees Lila, telling her she looks forward to hurting her, by which she means applying fake wounds to her, but it definitely doesn't come out that way. One of my favorite touches in this is that Lila is equally starstruck with Noah because Noah is openly queer. To closeted bisexual Lila, Noah is the epitome of cool as this out lesbian. But she also tries to keep that under wraps, especially because she mistakenly thinks Noah's roommate is her girlfriend. So she comes across as aloof and straight. While the cover makes this look like a Hollywood romance, I loved the juxtaposition between the sweet romance and the cheesy, gory horror movie. And I wish that had been played up a little bit more in the marketing, especially the cover. There's actually a work of art that is part of the pre-order campaign that I definitely recommend looking at if you can. And it is I Kissed a Girl presents Scaradactyl, and it is an illustration of them on the set, and I definitely feel like that should have been the cover, because it is ridiculous and amazing. So far from a glitzy Hollywood romance, Lila has had to tread water in a tank that smells like sour milk, and she spends a lot of her time rinsing various kinds of goo and fake blood from her hair. I also appreciated that both of the main characters are Jewish and they find connection with each other in that. There's also a trans side character. And one of my favorite moments of the book was when Noah's parents say that Chrissy, the roommate, is welcome at the holidays, even if Noah doesn't come, but to tell them how many girlfriends she's bringing, because last time they had to run across the street to borrow chairs from the Glazers. It's such a sweet, casual moment of acceptance. Chrissy is also a lesbian and polyamorous, in case that wasn't clear. Another aspect I thought was interesting was Lila's perception of herself. She has basically been raised to be an actress, so she is very used to thinking of her body as an object and one that she has to market successfully. She is constantly thinking about angles and how she is being perceived. She has a camera-ready smile and is careful to be an easy person to work with. She is also self-conscious about her appearance and often shuts down when Noah compliments her looks because she's used to being reduced to only that. Noah, on the other hand, has her own flaws. She is quick to get frustrated with Lila's apparent insincerity, but Noah is judgmental and can be clueless about others while Lila is hyper-aware of others' feelings. So she scoffs at Lila reading romance novels, for instance, and understandably pushes Lila away with her judginess. I did have some issues with the pacing. It feels like this could have been a really tightly plotted novella instead of a novel, but I did enjoy it overall, and I especially recommend it for readers looking for FF Jewish romance who have exhausted the Shira Glassman back catalog. And that's I Kissed a Girl by Jeanette Alexander. All right. I'm so excited to start my vacation. After we finished recording that, I almost was like, we're done. Okay, what are we going to (laughs) do? No, I have one more book that I'm going to tell you about, but I'm probably going to do it really fast because I'm so excited to go on vacation. My my last pick is so good and it's so worth mentioning. Uh, It's been out in the UK for quite some time now and now we get it over here in the States. It is Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. It's a sort of Sally Rooney-esque sort of romance novel i see it being called chiclet a lot i don't know if i agree with that but i just thought it was a really great complex book about a woman who doesn't know exactly what she wants it's about a young woman named nina dean she's in her early 30s and she is a successful food writer 
And she has a lot of friends and she has a family and she's close with them. Uh, and she's living in a new home and she's all excited about that. But she's single and she has these complex feelings. She sort of resents the people around her who she wants to be in a relationship and, you know, or, or have children. And the people around her who are doing those things, you know, she, she has complex feelings about that. Um, and then she meets a man named Max through a dating app. And he tells her, like, right away. He's like, I, you know, I love you and I'm going to marry you and it's going to be great. And suddenly Nina is like, yes, this is exactly what I want. Because here's this man saying these things to me, which is what I wanted. But, you know, things don't always go according to plan. And so she's dealing with her relationship with Max, as well as a mom who is having a midlife crisis. And her dad is... Uh, suffering from dementia so she has a lot going on in her life um i don't want to say much more because i don't want to spoil it but i felt very invested in these characters and sometimes i was angry at them i was like you're not making good decisions or you're not a good person but those actions are needed to further the story and to further nina's story um and it, and it feels very real you know her her suddenly her life is sort of unraveling and it's about different kinds of ghosts in your life people who ghost you people who are you know a ghost of what they used to be it's a really great book it's called ghosts which i have said 500 times now the word ghosts i was like is it ghosts i don't know it's ghosts by dolly alderton well, speaking of ghosts, I Yay. have a bit of a ghost story book. I love ghosts. Right? It's good. And it's The Dead in the Dark by Courtney Gold. Ooh. Logan has lived her life on the road with her two dads, Alejo and Brandon, as they scour the country for locations for the newest episode of their ghost hunting TV show, Paraspectors. She and Alejo are close and their relationship is easy, but she has always felt distant from Brandon, and sometimes it feels like they outright dislike each other. When Brandon goes to his and Alejo's hometown of Snakebite, he claims it's to scout the location for the show, but when he stays for months without explanation, Alejo and Logan follow him there. There, Logan faces a small town hostile to her as an out lesbian as well as to her dad's. A teenager went missing when Brandon arrived, and the town is sure he's involved. Then more kids start turning up dead, and Logan's not sure she even trusts her father. This is a creepy, atmospheric horror thriller about a force possessing someone in a small town and getting them to kill teenagers. For the first half of this book, I thought I knew exactly where it was going, and I was definitely wrong about that. Most of the story slowly unfolds, only raising more questions as it goes, and the last chunk of the book is full of revelations and twists. When I just discussed the story, I just talked about Logan, but this actually has two point-of-view characters, plus some asides narrated by the dark. Ashley has lived her whole life in Snakebite, and she loves it there. Her mother is the backbone of the town, and she's determined to follow in her footsteps. She has a close-knit group of friends, and her and her boyfriend, Tristan, have an idyllic relationship, or they did until he disappeared. While everyone else seems to either accept at this point that he's died, or they think that he just skipped town, Ashley keeps up the search. When Logan arrives, the town turns against her, but Ashley and Logan find an unlikely partnership. They both want to find out what happened to Tristan. Logan, in order to prove her dad innocent, and Ashley to find Tristan alive. Soon as more bodies appear, including Ashley's friends, they begin to suspect something supernatural is happening. Ashley gets visions of Tristan and even of past happenings in the town. 
Brandon and Alejo seem to be keeping secrets about their past here, and Ashley and Logan are left on their own to solve this mystery before more people die. I listened to this as an audiobook, and I thought it worked really well in that format. I liked getting immersed in the unsettling world of Snakebite, and I was happy to let the story unfurl slowly because of that. Ashley and Logan are really interesting characters. Logan has been out for ages and is very sure of herself and is immediately angry at this town for its hostility towards her queer family. She is unafraid to start fights and has no interest in getting on anyone's good side. Ashley, on the other hand, has always been the placating kind, trying to be the perfect daughter, girlfriend, and friend. Tristan's disappearance forces her to assert herself because she's the one advocating for keeping up the search. She is confused by Logan and her growing feelings for her, and it's this exploration of compulsory heterosexuality, not named, of course, that I found fascinating. If you're looking for a creepy read or listen, I highly recommend this one, and that's The Dead in the Dark by Courtney Gold. All right! So those are our new books. What are you going to read next? I'm going to read All Are Welcome by Liz Parker, which is another book that came out today that I just didn't get around to in time. And it's about two women and their location wedding and how basically the family kind of takes over this wedding and it's very rich people problems and skeletons coming out the closet. And it looks like it'll be a really fun kind of beach read. What are you reading? I just got my hands on The Sentence by Louise Erdrich, uh, who is the author of The Night Guard, which Night Guards, which just won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction this year. And this book takes place in an indie bookstore, which is like <gasps> exciting. Ooh. But uh, lots of people don't know that Louise Erdrich herself owns an indie bookstore in Minneapolis uh, called Birchbark Books and Native Arts. Uh, and so if you're in the area, you should go check out her bookstore. And I, I've also started The Stand by Stephen King because I'm doing the Stephen King reread of all his books. I didn't realize The Stand was so early on in his career. Like, if you had asked me, I first thought The Shining came before The Stand. And I did not realize, like, The Stand was the third book he ever published. Yeah. And so uh, it's 1,300 pages long. <laughs> so I'm going to be reading this one for a few days. But, you know, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm also excited to get to Christine, which is, like, much further down on the list than I realized. Because when I read Christine when I was, like, 9 or 10... I did not have a Plymouth Fury, so I didn't realize that she was a Plymouth Fury. And like later on in my 20s, I owned a Plymouth Fury, like a really old one. And so now I'm all excited about that because I'm a big <laughs> dork. <laughs> like, yay, that's I had a Christine fun. car. Um, so that's what I'm doing. So that's all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to talk about hummingbird moths or Plymouth Furies. You can find us online. Danica hangs out on Twitter at lesbrary, which is L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franson Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.